Good morning again, Contact family. It is time for our lesson, and we're going to be continuing in the 8th century prophet as we have been. Let's go over our goals real quick, like we always do. We want to get a basic understanding of justice, righteousness, and the 8th century prophets. We're going to identify how those relate to Jesus' day, the gospel in our current world, and discover ways we personally and as contact need to shape our lives to submit to God's way. We want to intentionally step out of our comfort zones to engage others with righteousness and justice. All right, so we're continuing with the book of Isaiah today. We're going to uh, mostly be in one chapter today. We're going to start off in a different chapter than what we're doing today. And this was our memory verse earlier, Isaiah 49, 6. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What's God interested in here for his people? His people were becoming self-centered. They were focusing on what was going on within their borders, within their walls. That's sometimes the case for us as a church, too. We can get concerned with what's going on in our walls. But his purpose for them was to make them a light for everyone, for all the nations, so that his salvation could go everywhere. So anytime we get too stuck on the place where we are, and we're not thinking outside of where we are, we're missing something. Okay, so... The next thing we're going to do is going to make total sense is we're going to talk about the book of Acts. Yeah, that, that logically follows from talking about Isaiah. And you say, what? And I say, well, it actually does logically follow from talking about Isaiah. Uh, what we're going to be doing in this lesson today is really based off of a lesson that a professor named Kurt Nickham gave for ACU lectureship one year. It's called This is the Song That Never Ends. And it is a fantastic walkthrough of chapter 56. And I'm ripping a ton of his content. Uh, but this is uh, really helpful, I think, for understanding what's going on in the book of Acts, what's going on in Isaiah, and how the church looked at this and saw, saw what their direction was and where God was leading them. So the early Christians referred to three books more than any others, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. And in fact, Psalms and Isaiah would have been where most of their songs came from. Those are the books that are used more than any other. Isaiah is one of those three. So Isaiah, you can imagine, is a very important book for the church. We know that it's the first thing that Jesus quoted from. Remember the very first week we talked about that? And it's something that's shown up over and over again in the Bible. In fact, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8, references uh, that verse we just read in Isaiah 49. If you remember the last words of it, and we remember we did that in our memory verse, to the ends of the earth, but you will receive power, Acts 1 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's directly quoting from Isaiah there. Uh, the very last verses of the book of Acts, so that was the very beginning of the book of Acts, the very end of the book of Acts quotes back to Isaiah chapter 6. You remember we talked about that a few weeks ago which is that they'll be ever hearing but never understanding, that they'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. Otherwise, I would turn and heal them. Uh, so if you need to refresh on that, go back a couple weeks. But that's the end of the book of Acts. So Isaiah 56, those are the, the pieces on the, on the ends. But Isaiah 56, actually, the way that it's framed, shapes the structure of how the book of Acts is written and how things follow. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, you'll see here in a second. But part of the thing that... Acts is answering, and we talked about this for a minute last week, is the disciples ask at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 6, is the restoration of Israel at hand? And we talked about some of those passages last week. And they're wondering if this is the time when Israel is going to come and become a kingdom. And Jesus is like, I mean, it's not really what you think, but something big 
is about to happen. So Luke is about the Messiah coming. Acts is about the kingdom coming, which is the restoration of Israel, but not in the way that people were expecting. Uh, So the big question then is, has the kingdom been restored? Is the restoration of Israel, has that something that's happened? And what's going to happen as we go through Isaiah 56 and as we connect it to the book of Acts is we're going to see how the answer to that question is yes, the kingdom has been restored, and we're going to be looking at how the kingdom has been restored. With that, let's read the first eight verses of Isaiah 56. And this is going to be our big chunk of scripture that we're going to deal with for the rest of the day. So listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Uh, We're talking about eunuchs, we're talking about foreigners, we're talking about how the exiles are going to return, we're talking about worship at the temple. So I don't have this organized on this slide uh, in the order that it happened in those verses. What I have instead is the order of how these things show up in the book of Acts. All right, so let's look at this first one. The exiles will return. So back there in verse 8, God says he's going to gather all the exiles together. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 8 and following, you remember we read this last week. This is the day of Pentecost. And all these people from all over the world have shown up back to the Jerusalem, back to where the temple is, back to where uh, God's God's city is. And they are hearing the apostles who have just been given the Spirit speak to them in their own language from wherever they're from. And it lists all of these languages. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but what we didn't say is that there's this one nation in Acts chapter 2 that's called the Elamites. And in the first century, the Elamites did not exist anymore. But in Isaiah chapter 11, which we read from last week, the Elamites are mentioned. And so one of the things that Luke is doing is he's cluing us in that this thing that's happening is the fulfillment of what happened back in the book of Isaiah and the prophecy that comes there that's talking about Jesus and the restoration of the kingdom and what's going on. So the exiles who have been scattered all over the place, because even though a lot of the Jewish people came back from exile, from being in Babylon and being in Assyria, most of them didn't come back. And a lot of them have made homes all over the the Roman world at this time, the Greek world, the Roman world, uh, and they are not living in Jerusalem. They're not living in Judah and in Galilee and in Samaria, which, you know, that's another story. Uh, 
but they are scattered all over the place. And so it's on this special day of Pentecost that all these people from all over the nations have come back who are Jewish and are coming back and the exiles have returned. So that's the first fulfillment of what's going on in Isaiah 56 that's happening in the book of Acts as we read through the book of Acts. And the second thing is the inclusion of eunuchs. Now, back in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it basically says that anyone who is a eunuch who cannot reproduce, that is, a man, is someone who has to be cut off from the community. They cannot be accepted fully into the worship of God. And that's that's a huge, sad thing for people who are born like that, who are made like that, who for whatever reason have had that happen to them. And so in Acts chapter 8, there's a story that you may have heard. And it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, what? The Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is riding in his chariot. And Philip catches up with him. He's on his chariot. And he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah is important, right? And he's reading this passage in Isaiah 53. And I'm going to read to you the version of it from the book of Acts, which is based on the Greek translation of the original Hebrew, just because that's what was being read in the chariot. And it says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Okay, who's that talking about? And that's the question the Ethiopian eunuch has, is who is this talking about? And Philip takes that verse And he explains that this is talking about Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this is one of the things it says here is who can speak of his descendants, or in other words, he's someone who was cut off and was not able to have descendants. Who else can't have descendants? Yeah, eunuchs can't have it. So one, he's really interested in this because this person who it's talking about brings salvation uh, is in the same situation as he is. But it's also talking about he's also interested i think because if you remember we were reading in isaiah 56 what did it say in verses 3 4 and 5 let's read it again it said let no foreigner who is bound to the lord say the lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no unit complain i'm only a dry tree dry tree means you can't have any offspring for this is what the lord says to the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Is that a good promise for someone who's been excluded from worshiping God? You see, the way the temple was set up, the temple, you have the holy place and the holy of holies in the very center, which is where only the priests can go. And then outside that, there's an area uh, for, for priests and special people. Outside of that, you've got the area for men only, and then you've got an area that uh, I think women is next, and then there's like foreigners and people who have ailments. If there's anything wrong with their bodies, it's next. So for a eunuch, they couldn't even go, even if they were Jewish, all the way into where the men went. They had to stay on the very outside part where only people who were foreign are people who were broken in their body in some way, who had sicknesses, who had ailments, diseases, whatever, and they couldn't get closer to God than that. And in this time in the first century, that place is where it had been turned into a market 
There was a street going through it. This is where the selling of animals was happening. This is where the money changers were. This is where Jesus goes and flips over the tables, is in this outer court. And so when the Ethiopian eunuch hears about this, he says, something is happening that means I can become fully part of God's people in a way that I wasn't allowed to before. Something is changing that is changing the rules. Where I was excluded, I will be included. Where I was an outcast, I will be one of God's chosen. Do you think that's a special thing for someone? And this Ethiopian eunuch probably was already of Jewish descent. So he grew up hearing the stories. He grew up believing. But even so, was not allowed to be fully a part of the community with which he was born into. So do you think this was good news for him? Yeah, this is great news. And so it's no wonder that as Philip explains this to him, they drive on this road and he sees water and says, hey, look, there's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? I want in. I've wanted in all of my life and I've never been allowed to be in. Praise God, I get to be in now and I get to be one of God's chosen kingdom people. What a blessing. What a blessing. So that's the Ethiopian unit part. Okay, turning to the next thing, we're going to talk about the inclusion of foreigners. Let's reread those verses really quick just so we have a refresher. Verse 3, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And then on down to verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so we're talking about foreigners. So in Acts chapter 8, we just had Philip went to Samaria, then he went to uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, so he's he's following this path of to what Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Chapter 9, we talk about Saul and Saul's conversion and how Saul is going to be God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles or to the nations. Gentile nations, Goy, uh, Goyim is the people that are not Jewish in Hebrew. And so that word Gentiles or the nations are kind of the same word. I'm talking about people that are not part of our, the Jewish people group. Okay, so from there, what happens next is we have this idea that we're going to the ends of the earth. So, so far we had an example of someone who didn't live in Jerusalem or anywhere, who lived in Ethiopia, but was probably Jewish. Now we get to Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, there's this great story about the sheep being let down from heaven three times and Peter is up on a roof and he's having this vision and it has all these animals on it. And these animals are unclean according to the Old Testament. They're kinds of food that Peter as a Jewish man is not allowed to eat. And God tells him, kill and eat Peter. And Peter says, uh-uh, I know the rules. I know how things are supposed to be. I'm not doing that and making myself unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And this happens three times. Peter's confused. And suddenly these guys come up to him and say, hey, Peter, an angel told us to come and talk to you and bring you home to our master. 
And he says, all right, spend the night. Let's go because the spirit has just told me that I need to go with you. So he goes with them to this guy named Cornelius's house. Cornelius is not Jewish. He is a Roman official. He is not Jewish at all. He, he likes the Lord. He studied the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. He has made degenerous donations to the synagogue and to help the Jewish people, but he is not Jewish. And because he's not Jewish, he's not able to become part of the community of God either. Foreigners are excluded from God's kingdom as well. And there's a couple of references on here, Ezekiel 44, 7 through 9, Ezra 9, 1 through 4, that kind of talks about this purification of Jewish people and how foreigners need to stay away so that the like basically the bloodline stays clean and so the outside influences don't affect them. So in the middle of this, Peter goes and starts talking to them and says, God told me to come talk to you. And I think I understand what he was talking about now. And then suddenly, just like in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire on the people's heads, the same thing happens in Cornelius's house. And in a way that Peter and the people with him cannot deny, the Spirit has come upon people who were never Jewish, who were always foreigners, who were born foreign, who were still foreign, who had not had the same kind of covenant of circumcision like the Jews had. And Peter says, if God says yes, who am I to say no? Let's baptize these guys. Praise God, because he is bringing his salvation to the ends of the earth, a light for who? For the nations. Okay, last little section is worship at the temple. We read this already. We'll read it again really, really quick. Verse seven, I'll bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For who? For just the Jews? No, for all nations. Okay, worship at the temple is a big part of this promise. And that as God brings people back together, and as God fulfills this, he's going to bring all people from all over the earth to worship at his temple. Now, in Jesus' day, and I have Luke 19.46 specifically mentioned here, although this is the same way in Mark and in Matthew as well, but Jesus comes right and he cleans the temple. And we talked about this a second ago, is that the foreigners, the people who are broken, all have to be in this outer outer square. And instead of it being a place where worship can happen, it's now a street through the city. So it's busy all the time. There's animals doing all the things that animals do, being loud, making smells, having to eat, all this other stuff. There's people changing money. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place like an outdoor open market where there's like money changing and all this stuff going on. It's not a place where you can sit and worship God very easily. It's loud and and crazy. And so Jesus says, no, this is not what it's supposed to be. And he quotes from Isaiah 56 and says, my house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Okay. So Jesus is saying the temple was supposed to be this way, but you've made it this other way. Okay. Later in the book of Acts in chapter 21, Paul has been going out and he's been on all these missionary journeys. He's been going and he's been sharing the good news to all these people from all the different nations who are not Jewish and they're changing hearts and lives, and the church is spreading, and there's been a famine in Jerusalem. So Paul has been bringing this offering together of money to bring it back to the people in Jerusalem. And so he brings it back, they get there, and he's been told by uh, prophets and others that he is going to be put in chains if he goes back to Jerusalem. And he says, yeah, that's fine. God has other plans for me too. So he gets back to Jerusalem, 
And James, Jesus' brother, tells him that a lot of people have heard that he is making light of the law of Moses and saying that you don't have to follow it anymore, which is uh, kind of true, and that it would go a long way with the Jewish people if he would make a special vow uh, at the temple and would um, show people that he believes still in the Jewish law. And Paul says that's fine because I do believe in those things. I am Jewish by my nationality and my heritage, and I still am happy to follow these things. So he goes and he makes this vow, probably a Nazarite vow, and he pays for it with these other guys. And then he's gone to the temple and he's in there worshiping. And this is, again, supposed to be the time where he is, you know, getting to praise. But instead he gets arrested because these guys say, hey, he's at the temple. And I saw him with this guy that was definitely not Jewish, who this person had come back from Asia or somewhere because he had been in Ephesus. It was this guy that had been in Ephesus with him. I know I'm just dropping all kinds of random stuff. Uh, and so they, they get upset that he's there, so upset that they get him arrested, and it starts this whole chain of events with Paul under arrest and having to witness uh, about his relationship with Christ and what Christ has been doing through time when he is being held captive. But what's happened here, okay, when Jesus quotes House of Prayer in Luke, it's supposed to have been a house of prayer for who? For just the Jewish people? No, we remember Isaiah 56 says it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. What are, what's, what's Paul being arrested for? He's being arrested for bringing, which he didn't do, but they assumed he did, for bringing a non-Jewish person into the temple. Even though, what did Jesus quote from and what did Isaiah say? That the temple was actually supposed to be a place where all nations would get to come. But instead, what has happened? The religious leaders, the people that were running the temple, have said, no, no, they don't belong here. Only our kind belongs here. They are not welcome. So in this prophecy from Isaiah 56, these things have been happening in the book of Acts, right? All the exiles came back in Acts chapter 2 and got to spread the word. The the eunuchs are being welcomed into the kingdom. The foreigners are being welcomed into the kingdom. And that all culminates in this idea that everyone from the whole world is going to get to come worship at the temple. And what's the response to that happening? The people who should have said yes to it say no. So does God's word fail here? Is God's promise not able to be kept? What fulfills the prophecy of worship at the temple? If it's not actually worshiping at the temple, because people are not welcome. Well, the big answer to that, according to Luke, according to the early church, according to Paul, according to everyone, is that God never... And when I say everyone, I don't just mean in the New Testament. I mean even in the Old Testament. Even across the book of Isaiah, a lot of the prophets, a lot of the Psalms, God does not live in temples made by human hands as if he needed them. God's temple is the whole earth. God's temple is the whole earth. So is it true the way they expected? No, people are not coming back to the temple in Jerusalem because the temple in Jerusalem was constructed to be a place for 
the people of Israel to worship God. But as God's kingdom gets bigger and bigger, we become the temples of the Holy Spirit, right? We become the places where God's presence lives, no longer in a building, but in the community, within the people. As we gather together, as we are in our homes, as we are wherever we are right now, we are little pockets of God's temple, little pockets of God's spirit that's dwelling in this world. And so in fact, this prophecy is fulfilled in a way that's incredibly special because at the same time, the whole earth is God's throne, is God's temple. And at the same time, people from all over the earth can be in God's presence, which is what the temple was about, was about being in God's presence. But we no longer need a specific building and a specific place to do that. In fact, we can do that everywhere. And that's good news. But I want to ask another question. And this next question is, are we being like the people who were in charge of the temple? Or are we being like the early church? Or asked another way, is everyone welcome? Because the story of what was going on in Isaiah 56 and the story of Acts is tearing down the walls, breaking down the barriers, and making a way for everyone to be welcome in the kingdom. So I just want you to sit and think about that for a minute. Is everyone welcome with us? You know, we welcome certain people pretty well, maybe. Do we have challenges with others? I want to tell you great news. This is the news of the kingdom, the news of This is the gospel news. This is the news that Jesus brought. This is the news that the early church spread. This news is that everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. You're welcome. It doesn't matter if you are black, white, or anywhere in between. You are welcome. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. American, somewhere else, that's fine. You are welcome. It doesn't matter if you have children or don't have children, you're welcome. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, you are welcome. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with today, you are welcome. It doesn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat, you're welcome. It doesn't matter if you believe in the mask ordinance or not, you're welcome. It doesn't matter if you are straight or LGBTQIA+, you are welcome. It doesn't matter if you've been hurt by religion before. It doesn't matter if you've been in church all of your life. It doesn't matter who your parents are, or your grandparents are. It doesn't matter anything else. God loves you. God welcomes you. Does that mean there's not things we've got to change? There's things I've got to change. There are ways that I am still being shaped more and more like Jesus. But that doesn't mean that the doors of the kingdom are not swung wide open. And any attempt to shut people out of the kingdom 
to shut out the rich, to shut out the poor, to shut out the hurting, to shut out the healthy, to shut out whatever it is, anything that stops people from coming to Jesus is counter to the nature of God's kingdom and God's desire. So, our justice and righteousness action. How do we make sure, and let's make sure, that everyone is welcome? We are not in the business, we are not in the business of telling people they don't belong here of telling people that God doesn't want them, of telling people that there's something about them that is so wrong that God can't accept them. That is not who we are. That is not who God is. That is not what the church is. We are those who with open arms say, come to Jesus. Come be loved. Come have your heart broken. Come be healed. Come join the community of faith. Come join the temple. Come join the people from every nation, from all the ends of the earth. Come and be part of God's kingdom. And come and see what God has in store for us. That's the good news. The good news of the kingdom. The good news of Isaiah 56. Good news of the book of Acts, the good news of the church today. Guys, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for considering how we can make others more welcome. If you have ideas for that, if you know ways that we haven't made people welcome, let me know. If you think of new ways that we could welcome people, let me know. And start doing it because we want to be people who welcome others into God's presence. All right, let's pray really fast, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the kingdom that accepted all of us, that's accepted even me, that's accepted everyone who's listening, that's accepted those who even aren't listening, God. The kingdom that wants us, that knows you want us, God. Help us to be people who share your love with others and who share your open arms. God, you are so good. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, guys. I love you. Keep thinking souls. I'll see you next week. All right, bye.